Hello, and welcome to another episode of Accounting Insiders Podcast. My name is Gary Dehart, and I am the publisher of Insightful Accountant, Tax Practice News, and the host of Accounting Insiders. Today, uh, my guest is Isaac Keller, who is the CEO of Trillion. Trillion is, and I have to read it off my paper here, an AI-powered platform that automates manual work for finance and audit teams. So uh, welcome, Isaac. Thanks for uh, taking some time out of your day. Thanks, Gary. Good to see you. Oh, um, good to be seen. Yeah. And so kind of prior to this, we we're talking about, OK, what are we going to talk about? So I do have a, a list of questions. So if you're watching this, sorry, I do have to look down and read my questions or I'll I'll forget half of them. And then uh, then we'll only have like a three minute uh, interview and that wouldn't be any good. So uh, so we're going to kick this off. So tell me just a little bit about your background, um, Isaac, and then how you ended up founding. Because I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and saw that this was kind of a side gig, I guess, with a different name. And then, but so how did you end up founding Trulian? And is there a meaning in the name? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, Trulian is stands for truth in millions. And that's the mission. You know, what good is a, a million or a billion or a number unless it's rooted in truth and accuracy? And it, it ties back to a lot of my experiences, my career. So first of all, I'm I'm from Texas. I'm actually calling from Israel today. You know, half of our team right. is based right. here. Product uh, and many other areas are here. And I'm from Texas, right? And, you know, it started when I was in internal finance and accounting teams at growing companies, uh, you know, going back to Dallas, Texas. And I ran into a lot of massive accounting and finance challenges and overhauls like revenue recognition and lease accounting. And what I found was when, uh, you know, gap and accounting standards came in, they sounded really good and they provided more transparency on paper. But when it actually came time to implement them at the company, whether it was a small business or a, a big public company, they created a lot of work, whether it was reading a bunch of PDFs or dealing with new spreadsheets and roles. And also the, the GLs, right, the ERPs were not suitable you know, we're not we're not um, flexible enough to build those applications. So obviously having a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, I decided to do something about it. You know, I had I had started to play with AI in a very user friendly way. And I thought that'd be great if we could leverage AI to bring the contracts together, to bring the CRMs and the systems together and then build these flexible workflows for accounting where you know, an, an accounting team could just focus on the judgments and the strategic layer. So that that was the the initial promise of Trulian. As a company, you know, I decided I was living in New York at the time to um, partner with with my partner Amir Boldo in Israel to really build a world class uh, tech organization, and then obviously have a, a U.S. American facing business, but really a global company that serves Gap, IFRS, and all different types of businesses. So that's where we are today. Uh, we're about 50 people, over a thousand customers, a lot of accounting firm partners, a lot of audit firms, advisory firm partners, and uh, we're just trying to make uh, you know bring more truth to this uh, sector. Yeah, so pretty amazing how many tech tech how much technology comes out of Israel, and right, and has for many many years, right? Stuff that that you you would never see. I I used to work on a textile magazine back in early 90s. And there was a company that was, you know, out of out of Israel. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like kind of looking at. I think they were looking at kind of the fabric as it, as it was being woven, and you know, using technology to to stop the process if there was a problem. If I think I've got the right company, but yeah, uh, 
How, how did you end up connecting with your business partner? Um, through investors. Um, so I was I was a bit of an outsider when I came to Israel. I had read a book called Startup Nation, which which is kind of a, a famous book right now that talked about you know the pace of innovation and really the global mindset um, of Israeli entrepreneurs. It also talked about how um, the military background was very strong, you know, for them. It talked about how Israeli companies built for the world instead of just building for the country, right? Because they have kind of a global mindset. Um, but when I came to Israel, it was hard coming in as an outsider. I had a, I had a work visa, and um, it wasn't until I met our investors, who were Americans who had been investing in Israel, who they introduced me to my partner. Um, so Amir, my, my co-founder, had been in one of the most elite um, Israeli intelligent units and had been working at many, many um, high-growth companies. One got sold to HP you know, last year. And it was just a, it was a great uh, connection. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know if anyone, anyone's watching, like, or if they're just on audio, but I, I've got, I, I kind of have a collared shirt. I try to dress nice. I work for private equity back firms and finance and, you know, accounting and stuff. My partner, Amir, you know, came from the military, worked for startups, t-shirt jeans every day, you know, Diet Coke or Coke Zero in his hand. Nice. And um, that's kind of the combination of the business. You know, I, I like to bring the polish, the accounting, the finance. And Amir is is an incredible, fast, um, innovative leader, and so that's that's really permeated our culture at Trulian. Yeah, and you say half are in New York, half in Israel. It's kind of split. Yeah, more more than half are in Israel, um, but yeah. we're we're growing and and continuing to grow in New York, um, and that's just part of a, a life cycle of a, a tech company these days, right? You you hire a lot of product and and engineering early. And then as you start to scale, which we've kind of hit that now, you start to hire a lot more sales, marketing. We have a lot of partnerships. So we have channel partners and mm -hmm. stuff like that and uh, customer success, right? The, a lot of those hires are in the US. We got an office in New York. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little, so we talked about your background a little bit. So so AI obviously is getting a whole lot of uh, uh, of attention right now with the chat GPT and, and what it's doing. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about AI in the next, in the short term, one to five years, let's say, where do you think it will be generally like general purpose? And then also look at kind of our market, the tax and accounting finance, and yeah. then, um, and then tie in kind of long-term. I know I just threw a lot out, a lot at you. No, it's great. It's, it's great. No, that's perfect. And, and by the way, now's the time. Right now's the time to be talking about it, especially with ChatGPT3. But let let's put it in context, right? I, I would say there's been three super, you know, generational eras within accounting. You know, the first is pretty simple, just going back to the invention of the relational database, right? Accounting, you know, accountants and accounting firms were the pioneers in adopting things like Intuit, Oracle, SAP in the early days, right? Just moving into a database. That was a big breakthrough and it makes a lot of sense in retrospect right. for debits and credits and you know a balance sheet. That's the first era. I would say the second era is really the cloud revolution, right? And so when, when you took databases and moved them to the cloud because the accounting industry is highly services oriented, right? So you could have a one-to-many client relationship. You know, You guys could be down the street or maybe another state from each other. Now cloud allowed people to basically scale faster. It allowed small, medium-sized businesses and firms to leverage these tools in a more cost-effective way. 
And so that was like a second huge, I think, revolution. The third is AI, right? It, it's really having that kind of impact. Now, the reason we're not feeling it right now is because it's still in an early adopter phase. And what what chat GPT did is it didn't it didn't like like the AI is not that much different. I think it just made people realize how accessible and how powerful this is going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. That was the big thing with chat GPT. Right. A lot of our models are, are close to where chat GPT is within the accounting sector. But I think people realize, well, my teenager can now uh, chat with a bot that feels real and my you know, my college student uh, kid can write a term paper or actually not write it, just put it in chat. Right. So, so that's the idea is it, is it made it really applicable? Okay. So, so what does that mean? So first of all, like zooming out, we know what it means in other industries, autonomous vehicles and driving is the perfect example. It starts with small UK use cases. So lane assist, making sure that you don't knock into a car that's beside you and just giving you a little beep. Right. right? Um, it goes into helping you park, right? And maybe even jerking the brake a little bit. Then it starts to go into cruise control where you could actually, you know, you know, my friend like lifts his hands and says, look, you know, it's autonomous driving, right? And, you know, one day it could end up in autonomous driving, right? But that's kind of the progression of how these things work. So as it relates to the accounting industry, um, I'll point to just maybe a couple of use cases, right? Number one, I think there's going to be massive innovation around data collection and data intake, okay? A lot of accounting data is entered manually. It's, it, it sounds obvious to us, but you're typing in things that you read in a contract or an invoice or a bank statement, okay? That is going to be heavily automated with AI, you know, it's already started and it's going to be accelerated over the next couple of years. Um, the, you know, another thing will be anomaly detection. So once, so sorry, let me just back up. The data intake is going to be a lot around NLP, which is natural language processing, which is much closer to what chat GPT does, right? Which is understanding language and even intent, right? The other areas of AI, um, might just be around massive data sets. So you think about anomaly detection, right? Looking at a GL, looking at a QuickBooks, looking at a high volume of transaction and trying to decide which are errors, which are fraudulent, even internally, hey, that vendor, you know, canceled and and or or that vendor is is popping up more than it should, right? Because we're usually on monthly contracts, whatever it is, right? So the big data sets will enable AI to come up with more anomaly detection. So those are just two use cases. There's tons, mm -hmm. um, but obviously that's going to have an impact, not just on your average, you know, corporate controller and audited firm, which has a lot of money and, and data at stake, but also, you know, small businesses, right. And, and in the individual accountant. You see um, leveraging AI. How do you, because there certainly is value in kind of doing the work, right? We're talking, right. I think before we started, or, you know, the green eye shade kind of thing, but, you know, there's value in doing that work and sharpening your skills, so to speak, in doing that work. And I don't know a lot about audit, but um, it seems like that would be the case with audit. So if you start automating a lot of that front end, just roll up your sleeves type of work, 
does that impact kind of the knowledge base of the people who are managing that process? I think it's a re- it's a really good question, and we don't have a clear answer because it's the future. Right. But uh, maybe we'll use our car analogy, right? Um, I saw someone with their new car, the car parallel parked itself, right? right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, when I took my driving test, man, I was the best parallel parker ever. And you kind of like say to yourself, well, I wish they knew how to park, but maybe they don't need it. Maybe parallel parking is not a powerful skill. Like maybe it's something that should be left to the car. I don't know. I don't know the answer. And so I think the same thing will apply for accounting, right? Yeah, it's really, really valuable to be able to understand a specific contract or financing agreement uh, or invoice. Uh, uh, but maybe that can be automated. And there's other areas where you could focus on that are more strategic or more interesting or understanding like a cross-border tax implication, right? right. Something like that. Um, you know, an- another way to think about it is that there will be new aspects of accounting and audit that are much more related to the judgment and the complexity layer that people are now going to spend more time doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I'll just use w- one example. Like in auditing, and I'll, I'll talk about like regional firms. We work with a lot of regional firms. Um, they have a lot of pressure on them, right? Because of talent and availability and things like that. But at the same time, to perform a good audit, they rely on sampling. And the more pressure they have, the more that quality goes down because they sample less or they have more workflows to sample because there's new you know, rules around R&D tax or whatever it is, right? And so maybe AI could bridge that gap and allow them to collect all the data in one place and help them kind of zoom in on the areas that they should focus on, right? And so then the the next generation of auditors um, may not know how to run a sampling process, but they may be able to know how to find, you know, the really big errors in much bigger pools of data. I'm hypothesizing. We don't know how it's going to go, right? Right. Well, uh, the car analogy. So we have one car in the family that's a a straight drive, and that's my youngest son. And he and I are the only ones that can drive it. My wife doesn't know how to drive it. And and my older son doesn't know how to drive it. And now he refuses to learn how to drive it because he doesn't want his younger brother to teach him how to do something. So uh, <laughs> those, those are the those are the real problems we have to deal with. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So what about in in that long term, like like five plus ten years? I mean, I, you know, I don't, I'm not on the inside of of AI, but I certainly don't think it's the Terminator out there. But it is certainly. Um, it should be making our lives better, right? Yeah, definitely to to some extent. And obviously there's there's definitely challenges around AI and ethics and bias in all those areas. I, I don't know if those have crept into accounting as much, mm-hmm. um, as much as AI applications for, for social situations and things like that. Um, five to 10 years and beyond. So first of all, the there is a lot of, demand and kind of criticality of the accounting profession. Like it is the backbone of business into both individual and personal accounting. It's the backbone of, you know, tax collection, which is a government 
you know, lifeline, right. right? So, so all these things go back to something that's very, very important. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind because all of the money and dollars that's exchanged in this industry, it's not going away, right? It's critical infrastructure. And so what that means is when AI comes in, it's going to kind of look for areas to improve, to automate, to reduce costs, to optimize, to improve efficiency. Um, now, what does it look like um, five to 10 years? Let me let me give you a couple theories, right? So let's talk about small, small, uh, medium-sized business, both accountants and audit firms. You know, if you think about it, um, GAP is a pretty powerful code, right? GAP accounting and IFRS accounting. Um, but obviously a lot of small businesses operate on a cash basis. Well, maybe there's value in um, valuing their data based on revenue rules, like under GAAP, right? Um, I don't know, but I'm just saying like all these GAAP rules that we spend a lot of time debating to try to get better pictures of businesses for banks and for, for auditors and for investors and stuff. Um, once those get infused into technology powered by AI and all of the automation features, then those powerful features can come more and more down to the small medium business accountants. So I would call it something like big four superpowers. Like why is why is some of those tools and capabilities not more democratized all the way down to small, medium-sized businesses, right? Um, that's one area, right? So bringing powerful accounting judgment into, into you know, all types of, of shapes and sizes. Another thing to think about is the nature of audit, right? Um, audit sits on like the other side of the wall or the other side of the GL from their client. Right. Mm -hmm. It happens once a year and there's, you kind of get the list and yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. And like, I think, I think it's lost a little bit of its, of its luster and its power over the year. Well, what if an accounting, uh, what if, what if a internal accounting team, so a company could just dump their data into a, you know, like a file drive where the AI can actually sift through all of the documents and all of the CRM and all of the billing and get a full picture of what that company is and what are the risks and you know what are the flags. And then the auditor could actually come into that very system and do their analysis and that both parties could rely upon the system with everything in one place, meaning a fully connected audit trail that says, hey, I'm gonna look at this journal entry and then it's gonna swim all the way back to a bank confirmation. That's gonna be completely connected at, at, at an on-demand click, I think that could be very, very powerful for the kind of higher end of the accounting and audit profession. Yeah, years ago, I, I had lunch with, gosh, uh, Brian Fox. Do you know Brian Fox? From yeah, it's at confirmation.com. Yeah. yeah, like years ago. I, I used to work for um, Accounting Today. Yep. And so met with him in Nashville and he was kind of sharing how he kind of came up with or how confirmation.com, you know, came into being, which is again, being on the outside, not an accountant, but, you know, pretty insane. The, the hole that was there in the process that he was able to, yeah, cover, right. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And by the way, and, and I don't know Brian personally, but he's fantastic entrepreneur. And that's one of the better examples of a, of an exit of a liquidity event for an accounting software. And they were doing, for the most part, one thing, right? right? One one thing, right? So you could, if you could imagine, right? If you could build a business off of one aspect of the audit, 
how much more opportunity there is. Absolutely. Right? Make, makes you smile. If you're not with people, if you don't see the video, he's very happy about all the opportunity out there. Well, I'm just, I'm a happy guy in general. Yeah. I get excited. And, yeah, and I can, I can tell you, I can tell you that our, our clients are really excited. I mean, especially we're talking about, you know, regional audit firms, right? This could be a, it could be a 10 person firm, right? It could be a 10 person firm, or it could be a 500 person firm. We have the big, big four starting to play around, right? These firms are excited. Right. They have innovation committees. They're starting to think about the future of audit. It's amazing. And it, and I saw something you had posted on LinkedIn, some I think within the past week or so ago, that right now I see a lot on, on Twitter and on LinkedIn, people talking about the 150 hours and people talking about um, you know, just the gap in talent, right? So so I imagine that talent gap also, I mean, you're able to fill the bottom end of that of that. It's not really a funnel, but we'll call it the bottom end of that funnel, right? People that are having to do, you know, in there with the 10 keys doing their thing. If you can replace some of that work, then that takes some of the the, the pressure or the burden off of the talent gap, it would seem to me, for firms. Now, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you can say don't have to have as many people going to an accountant site or go going to an account site or remote work, however it's best done. Um, cause I can let your software, your technology do that work and bring in people, you know, one step above in the process. So it may not need as many. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, look, it's definitely good for us, right? When, when firms or teams are crunched, it's tight. They, they do look at software. They more, more are more open to looking at software, but that's not, you know, in, in our world, like we're, we're happy if there's more accounts, Right. Meaning it's one thing to be a cost savings and automation and compliance play, right? That mm -hmm. definitely sells for us. But what's really exciting is when the team or the firm unlocks new value, right? It creates a, a new way of auditing that's faster, different, better, right? And what's even more exciting is when you have the young auditors in that firm start to play around with that tool it's a lot different than the other things they've been taking because historically there's been a lot of legacy players in this space and there hasn't been that much innovation, probably partially because there hasn't been that much openness. Right. right. And so, so in our perfect world, you know, number one, we'll stabilize, we'll help these firms bridge the gap with really strong AI and automation tools. But number two, there should be some prestige built back up around the accounting and audit industry, right? We're talking about really, really sharp quantitative people that have dedicated their careers to, you know, ongoing uh, education and everything and, and really the minds that powered into it and, you know, the early oracles and SAP's use cases of the world. So I think, you know, we, we'd, we'd like to see things turn around in the near future too. Sure. So let me ask you this. So you mentioned before you mentioned kind of 10 person firm up to a massive firm. Is yeah. 10, is that a number that you guys work around or is that just a number you pulled out of the air? Um, that's, a, that's a stretch. We do have firms with 10 uh, to 20 people that have reached out to us. And if they yeah. have the budget and they, they want to scale, they work with us. You know, it is an enterprise grade, enterprise grade software with, you know, high touch support. So mm -hmm. that's just our business model. Um, I will say there's a lot of fractional uh, CFOs and controllers that have reached out and scaled with us. So yeah. that's great. But really our sweet spot, I mean, if you look at the, the types of firms, so let's just talk about firms, um, 
you know, you're talking about an Arminino, a Mazars, a Cebiz MHM, right? These really strong tech forward uh, top 100 firms. Yeah. And, and then, you know, obviously we've got a lot in the top 400, 300, 200 sprinkled in. Okay. So let's, let's roll up our sleeves and talk about product and, yeah. and what Trulian actually does. And we don't, have, we don't have to look at, you know, the ones and zeros, but, you know, because on the site, again, it's on my yeah, yeah. there, um, yeah. you're talking about workflow and you're talking about automations. Um, workflow for me means one thing because I'm not in audit, but um, talk a little bit about that, about the product itself. So when an accounting firm has an audit that they have to do, where are you being leveraged and how is it how is it being leveraged? Okay, got it. So let me let me back up for a second because it's we're truly is very unique and that we can sell to both sides of the accounting equation, meaning we, okay. we do sell to CFOs and corporate controllers. That's our core business. But then we also offer uh, a product for their auditors, right? Okay. And, and sometimes the auditors use it independently of that CFO controller, right? And just use, use our tool. Sometimes the CFOs and controllers use it independently of their auditors. And then sometimes we've got both the, the controller and the auditor using Trulian together. Okay, how does it start? It starts like this. You got a gap. As a company, as a corporate, you know, as a, as a small business, you've got a gap. That gap sits somewhere between, let's call it your Dropbox or CRM, which I'm gonna call source data, and your right. GL, okay? And that's a gap. And, and what do you gotta fill? Probably a new standard, right? Or a new workflow. Whether now you gotta do something, I don't know, around equity, just throwing something out there. With us, we identified revenue recognition. So there's massive overhaul in the past few years and lease accounting, which is now coming into play for private companies. Those two workflows were unaddressed in that gap between the source data and the ERP. So okay. what we built is a bridge to fill that gap. And that bridge has two main components. The first component is an AI powered data ingestion platform, which means it can take PDFs, you know, CRM data, bring it together in one place and help automate that manual uh, data extraction. That's the, that's the first part. The second part is what you talked about, which is the workflow. The workflow is um, the rules engine, right? It, it's, hey, now you've got to convert your um, lease data, which is cleansed and nice and all there into a right of use asset. That's the new standards. It's saying your lease is not a, an expense. It's actually now a balance sheet activity, right? And so our software helps automate that process to get you to the debit and credit, to get you to a disclosure. Now, you as an accountant answer several questions. You make judgments about the nature of the, the lease or the, the revenue item, of course, um, but that's all done within workflow. So once you take one and two together, something really cool happens in the accounting industry. The auditor who traditionally samples out of the GL calls their clients and says, well, wait a minute, what's this Trulian tool that you're using? Like, well, that's our, you know, that's our subledger here. Well, can I get access to that? And they say, sure. And they go into the tool and they say, well, well, wait a minute. This has all your source documentation, all of the audit trail and what you did and all the journal entries, which you generally don't see till they hit the GL, the ERP. And so, that's how we open it up to the auditors because the auditors immediately started seeing that there's much broader 
data in here, it's all connected together back to the source documentation. And I'm going to get more confident and comfortable if I can go through this. So it, it let's call it a one plus one equals three equation, right? When you put the, when you brought the source data and you added the automation, the workflows, that allowed the auditor to come in and feel more confident. So we opened it up as a platform. It was originally just a, an automation subledger, and now it's become a platform for both sides. And and you work with what other technologies? There were I know um, what I see uh, Netsuite. Yeah, definitely. So look, the truth is we we have a lot of QuickBooks customers, but and I say that in case there's QuickBooks uh, listening, sure. but the truth is is I would call it Netsuite and up is our sweet spot, right? Okay. We do have a lot of Sage and Microsoft Dynamics customers. Um, but we, we also have massive global customers who are on SAP or Oracle or Workday or Infor. Um, to be honest, we, we support just about every GL package. So uh, revenue is revenue, leases are leases. And if we can help, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we're happy to talk. Okay. And then, um, so that's products. So let's talk about services. So you mentioned, I think you have people in both, both in uh, New York and in um, in Israel, or is that the customer services there? So I'm using your tool. I have a problem. Am I chatting with somebody? Am I on the phone with somebody? What's that look like? Yeah, we have both. Um, one <laughs> one very important thing to understand is we're not a services company, right? We're a software company, and so what that means is we intentionally try to build and scale as much as we can in in the software. And what it also means is we really focus on our partners who are services experts, right? And so if you look at a lot of our customers, they've purchased Trulian either through or on the recommendation of their service provider, whether it's a, a fractional accountant or controller or an advisory firm who's helping them do a, you know, a digital transformation. So I, I feel like you know, zooming out, they act a lot of times as our customer support, and the, those are their clients more so than they're ours. Um, we've got a we've got a few people in in customer success. They do a fantastic job, mm -hmm. right? But half of their job is making sure our partners happy, who are re who really know their clients better than we do. Right. Okay. All right. So then, um, so what does that go to market strategy? What does that look like? Is it uh, where do you guys spend most of your time? Because I think you said you kind of built out. You know, you're added. You know, you've added customer service. You've added, you know, the business development people. So yeah. Like, kind of, what's that go-to-market strategy? Definitely, I think it, the easiest, all oversimplified. It's 50-50. 50% of our business comes from um, traditional online search, LinkedIn, Google, you know, that type oh. of stuff. 50% of our business comes from our partner firms. It could be audit or advisory firms. Right. That's it. You know, we we really it, it's very and that symbiosis is very important because we really want the companies to pull and demand our product and make sure that we've got product market fit so that when the client or sorry, when the service provider is recommending us, they know that their end client is going to be very, very happy. So we have to balance that very, very well to continue to improve our tool. Gotcha. And then um, do you guys, do you go to trade shows or are you at like the NetSuite? Yeah, Suite? for sure. Or... For sure. I think, you know, we haven't been to Sweet World, but I would say the best place to find us 
you know, AICP engage, AICPA engage. We had a big booth last year. We'll be there again this year. We go to a lot of regional events. We work closely with, um, you know, Prime Global and AGN and BDO Alliance um, and many others. So we go to a lot of those regional events. Um, we're definitely out there. And we're also hosting a lot of our own events this year for CFOs and controllers in major cities. Okay. And those are face-to-face? Oh, we're we're face-to-face. In fact, I didn't mention this. We're an in-office culture. You know, okay. we we have we have a Tel Aviv and a New York office. We come to work every day. We have a great time. We've got a great culture, and a big part of our DNA is is a group of people that likes coming into the office and likes working together. Are you? Um, do you get involved in hiring? Is that, or have you uh, been able to pass that on to somebody else? Um, I try to help where they let me. Uh, yeah. We have. We have a great, um, you know, head of HR out of Tel Aviv who works both in our New York and, right. and Tel Aviv offices. She's fantastic and has a team. And uh, if they if they ask for my opinion, I try to help. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I'm wondering just what what the feedback is about. Hey, we're you, if you want to work here, you come to the office. We're at X. Here's our street address. Right. I'm here. What I'm wondering. Well, um, that- so first of all, it's it's definitely different. And there's a couple things. So it's different in Tel Aviv and New York. So Tel Aviv, for whatever reason, Israel, people love being in person. They they love culture. They love going out to lunch together. That's a big part of the culture here. Um, in in New York, it's been different, but also it's changed over the past year. So whereas a year ago we were hiring. You know, we 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 set we put our foot down, said this is an in-office culture, and people are like, well, you know, I've got other offers. Yeah. I think I think now people appreciate that. You know, the tides have turned a little bit, so we're much more confident saying this is very important to us. And if that's not your style, that's okay, right? We understand right. because culture comes first before you know the the skills and the talents. Yeah, and, and I think the biggest group of people that 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 to me has a very negative impact on kind of the work from home. And I've worked from home for 15 years, but I've been married for you know 20 what year is it? 23 years, and I'm in a different age and stage of my life than somebody fresh out of school. And there's so much value in being in an office with other people, both both what you're learning from your peers, what you're learning from your boss. Uh, what you learn over the cubicle walls, um, especially for, in my opinion, you know, younger people. Um, I, again, I work in my basement. I love the commute, but it sure, right. uh, you know, the dog doesn't talk a whole lot. And so, yeah, yeah. well, it depends, depends on the industry. Yeah. yeah, it depends on it. And, and look, it, it's kind of funny, isn't it? We're, we're creating a, a platform which leverages AI together in person. Right. Yeah. You know, we're, we're figuring it out together and we're definitely, I think, uh, you know, taking advantage of like kind of those relationships we've built over the years. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up because I know I'm sure you've got things to do. What time is it in Tel Aviv? Right now, uh, 1030, 1015. Uh, PM or AM? 10 15 p.m. So just oh, a little bit about yeah, we were, you know, we work hard. We we obviously we're we're a US facing company. So a lot of us work US hours. And uh this is this is uh fun. All right. So let's uh sorry, right, so wrap it up. So if somebody wants oh, what's on the roadmap? Is there anything out there or are you guys just saying, you know what, we do these two things incredible? No, we've well, got... We're doing it, pulling the confirmation.com and go, this is all we need to do. No, they were much more. They were much more um, straight line than us to to one thing. Um, 
we've got leases, RevRec, and an audit platform right now. Those are three modules. That's more than you you know all you can eat if you're you know both an accounting or an audit firm. No. And I would say you know get in touch with us and we'll we'll give you a sneak peek of the roadmap you know along the way. Right. And then uh, and how do they do that? How would somebody get in touch with you? Yeah. So it's trulion.com. Uh, T R U L L I O N. It's like trillion with a U. Again, truth and millions. Um, request a demo. Uh, me personally, you can reach out if, if you want. Isaac, I-S-A-A-C at trulian.com. We're open. We love to talk to, to people who are passionate about the industry, passionate about new technology. And if you want to see a demo or check it out, you know, we're here. Great. All right. Well, we will call that a wrap. Thank you so much, uh, Isaac. Thank I you. appreciate you sharing some information with us. And, and I'm sure we'll be at uh, AICP Engage walking there. So I'll definitely get to meet you face-to-face -face at that, that event. That would be awesome. So, I'm looking right, forward. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Gary.